Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Sam. And this week we're diving back into Order of the Phoenix, chapters 11 through 20. Plug your nose. Buckle up and have a biscuit, because here we go. (laughs) (laughs) And to accommodate this episode, we are drinking a Phoenix Feather cocktail, which is basically a mimosa with some pomegranate juice. So it's half and half orange juice, pomegranate juice, and then a splash of champagne, which if you're Emily or myself, you probably put a little bit more than a splash, maybe a splash and a half. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. It's good. The summer is fading, so we decided to do kind of a bubbly, summery cocktail, and obviously, like, there was no doubt that this cocktail was going to be good, and it delivered, so we're doing good. We're doing good this morning. Yeah. On the cocktail front. Last week and this week, we've kind of hit it out of the park, so... yeah. Um, we just thought because some of the content this week is going to be pretty heavy because we are meeting Dolores Umbridge and dealing with her abuse, we thought something fun might counterbalance <laughs> some of these topics try. that we get into. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But it's delicious. Recommended. Definitely. But before that, before we dive into Dolores Umbridge, we are going to do a shag, marry, kill of some members of the DA who may not get as much credit or screen time as they are given in the book. So we have Lee Jordan, Mm -hmm. Michael Corner, who is Jenny's boyfriend at the time, and Zachariah Smith, who is that really annoying Hufflepuff who's always questioning everything Harry does and is obviously like, really skeptical of everything but i think that he kind of grows later on during the da but still these are these are your options for shag mary kill all right uh i would marry lee jordan shag michael and kill zachariah smith yeah i feel like that's really the only thing that you can do yeah um i do like though it's noted that we get sassy ron for the first time really in these. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get Sassy Ron when it comes to Hermione, but we really get Sassy Ron when it comes to Zachariah Smith and really Michael, and Michael Corner. Corner. Yeah. Because we find out that he's them. dating Ginny. So. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we are starting off this deep dive on chapter 11. We left off just meeting Luna Lovegood, getting off the train, talking about Thestrals. You're just as sane as I am. Everybody remember where we were at? Cool. Good. So we are picking back up. Sorting Hat song, and obviously it's a new year at Hogwarts. The guys and girls get back, and they notice, number one, Hagrid's not at the staff table. Number two, Umbridge is at the staff table. And Harry, of course, is the one who recognizes Umbridge and tells them about how she was at his hearing. And Umbridge gives the really annoying and rude interruption to Dumbledore's speech so that she can have her own speech about basically... And Hermione's the only one who picks up on this because everyone out has droned her out. And basically how the ministry is going to interfere at Hogwarts this year. So um, that's fun. And then 
the Sorting Hat gives its song, which is basically a warning to everyone to band together, kind of like Dumbledore had at the end of the year, Goblet of Fire. Yeah, so uh, it's actually Nearly Headless Nick tells them that the hat gives warnings from time to time. And I really like this quote. So, oh yes, said Nick, who seemed glad of a reason to turn away from Ron, who was now eating roast potatoes with almost indecent enthusiasm. (laughs) Yes, I have heard the hat give several warnings before, always at times when it detects periods of great danger for the school. And always, of course, its advice is the same. Stand together, be strong from within. So this kind of sets the entire tone of these next few chapters, right? Because we have people from other houses that are going to start to come together. They're going to have to, from within, kind of teach themselves some defense mechanisms. So, right. Uh, kind of just foreshadowing there, nearly headless Nick. And then, you know, they are going up to the common room. Ron and Hermione have to do their prefect duties. And I have a on there on that point after we get into chapter 12 so I guess I've never really thought about this before but when Fred and George are like trying to recruit people to for part-time work to basically like test all of their new product on right Hermione is like Ron we have to talk to them about this because we're prefects and obviously Ron doesn't want to but like where are the sixth or seventh year prefects? Like, why can't they do it? Why can't they talk about it? We never hear about any other prefects besides the one that are in Harry's year. So I just, I don't know, inquiring minds want to know because like, I know that there's head more boy prefects. And head girl. Like, where there's got to be more people girl. than just them, right? So I don't know. I've just never thought about it. And I feel like maybe there should have been mention of like who the other prefects were besides Percy once. But anyways, that was just my one little question. Also, um, Sassy Harry needs to take it down a notch. Yeah, I mean, it's not even, he's not even being Sharice anymore. He's just kind of being an asshole. He says, been having a nice little chat with her about whether or not I'm a lying, attention-seeking prat, have you? Harry said to Hermione. And I'm just like, God, calm down. But I'm glad that Hermione Hermione puts him in his place. She's like, I told her to keep her big fat mouth shut about you, actually. And it would be quite nice if you stopped jumping down our throats, Harry, because in case you haven't noticed, Ron and I are on your side. Yeah, I mean, this is coming right off of Seamus, you know, accusing him of being a liar. But also, then he kind of, like, has a go at Seamus's mom, which yeah, it's just completely inappropriate, cool. especially with your friend. And I understand, like, Harry's mad, no one believes him, woe is me, my life sucks. But, like, come on, dude, someone's mom. And she just wants to protect her son. She doesn't for sure know that Voldemort's back. She doesn't... It's not like she's being fudge and being a jerk about it. She just wants to protect her son. She doesn't want to believe he's back because that would mean her son is in mortal danger. Right. So... Yeah. I mean, if anyone should understand getting pissed about their mom being insulted, it should be Harry. Right. As we see. So, yeah. I mean, he's just... He's a lot sassy, angry... And this is part of the reason why Order of the Phoenix is kind of tough sometimes to get through because it's hard to just take all of that in and not be like, Harry, like, calm your tits. Like, that's enough. <laughs> or, like, internalize it. Like, I felt myself this time, since we're, like, really getting into content, I had to put the book down because yeah. I felt myself getting angry. Like, Sassy Harry was trying to rub off on me. And yeah. 
you know, it's just a lot. There's a lot of emotions in this book, and I think this is one of the first times where we really, really, really see some, like, inner dialogue a lot more between the three and with other people. I mean, it's there in the other books, but it's a lot stronger in this one. Yeah. I just want to send Harry some, like, positive affirmations that he can tell himself in the morning when he wakes (laughs) up so he can just, like, get into a better mental health state and just be like, I am strong, I am brave, I am capable, I am am radiating positive energy, (laughs) everything that's meant to be will be mine, like, just, okay, Harry, we can, we can get you back on track and we got you, we'll be your therapist, but (laughs) anyways, but then we basically have the worst start to the year that they could picture with the classes that they have, they have history of magic, followed up by potions double and potions. defense against double potions and then uh, Harry takes a zero his first day they're getting all kinds of homework because it's OWL season and then they go into defense against the dark arts and have their first class with Umbridge which obviously is a hot mess yes so she's crazy um and kind of twisted one's away one's oh wait away. Emily did you raise your hand before you started speaking Make sure your hand's in the air, because I don't see your hand. I mean, I kind of get it. She wants to keep order in her classroom, but then she kind of just, like, goes over the top. And, of course, Harry cannot contain himself ever yeah. in this book. Yeah. And he can't back down. He can't. He refuses. And he just flies off the handle a little bit. I, I mean, I get it. You know, he just came off of, again, shame is calling him a liar, him finding out... Lavender doesn't believe him either. He's faced with a lot right now, but I think she represents to him everything that is wrong with the Wizarding World at this point, and he's just letting her have it. No respect for her. She represents, like, what everybody else is, like, listening to from the ministry. Like, she's basically the adversary of his entire, like, story. Yeah. And she's telling all of the kids in the class that he's a liar. Like, basically saying, I know what you've been told by Dumbledore. I know what you... want to believe from Harry Potter, but these are all lies, and we're not going to be actually practicing magic this year because the ministry doesn't think that you have any reason to learn how to perform defensive spells. And then everyone's like, but what about on the OWL? Aren't we going to have to, like, perform them there? And she's like, "Mm, yeah, but if you study hard enough, you should be able to (laughs) just, like, produce it without practicing. So, But here is, I think, just... Or a quick recap of what went down. Basically, she brought up Cedric's death as a tragic accident, and that's pretty much what did Harry in. He kicks his chair aside, which is very dramatic. Um, <laughs> and then he's sent to Professor McGonagall, and we get arguably the best interaction we've ever gotten between McGonagall and anybody. Love it. So, come in here, Potter. He followed her inside her study. The door closed automatically behind him. Well, said Professor McGonagall, rounding on him, is it true? Is what true? Harry asked, rather more aggressively than he had intended. Professor, he added, in an attempt to sound more polite. Is it true that you shouted at Professor Umbridge? Yes, said Harry. You called her a liar? Yes. (laughs) You told her he who must not be named is back? Yes. Professor McGonagall sat down behind her desk, watching Harry closely, and then she said, Have a biscuit, Potter. I love it. Have what? Have a biscuit, she repeated impatiently, indicating the tartan tin of cookies lying on top of one of the piles of papers on her desk. And sit down. 
<laughs> so you can tell she just, like, yeah, she doesn't want him to disrespect authority, right? Because she's an authoritarian herself. But but obviously. She can't stand Umbridge and obviously saw that Harry really wasn't, his delivery was in the wrong, but overall he was not in the wrong, so. Right. But then she warns him to be careful and um, to not rise to the occasion with Dolores Umbridge and say that eventually it might cost you more than house points and detention, which foreshadowing, um, Mm -hmm. it does eventually. But then he has another biscuit. Well, he's offered another biscuit, but he doesn't take it because he's pissed that basically she's saying you need to watch your temper. He just can't right now, okay? He just, he can't watch his temper. (laughs) Right. And then he goes to detention with Umbridge and it's going to get a lot harder to keep his temper under control after this detention with her. Yeah, so he goes to detention and basically carves I must tell lies into his hand. And in the meantime, his his homework is piling up and Angelina Johnson's jumping down his throat because of Quidditch practices. Here is a lot right now. I mean, he's dealing again with insane grief that we talked about during our first deep dive. Like, one can only imagine what he must be going through. And he's 15. Yeah. He has the pressure of OWLs coming up and worrying about passing those because now he wants to be an Auror. So he's going to have to have top marks in most of these studies. And he has Dolores Umbridge coming in and ruining his day, quite literally. (laughs) Um, Right. And abusing him. And, you know, Ron sees his hand eventually and tells him to tell someone and he just feels like he can't tell anyone well i think he's also like taking his anger out on dumbledore and he's which i get like i would be pissed too if i was harry and dumbledore i felt like was ignoring me and he was the only like real ally that i felt like i had and he was just like always gone or not making eye contact and just ignoring me i would feel like pissed at him but I feel like in this circumstance I would still go to him with this issue yeah and if it were me I would want to confront him before he finally does about the issue just be like look I'm struggling what advice can you offer me here you know like he should still feel like he can go to him as his mentor yeah at this point he's just feeling very alone and you know We get an iconic sassy Harry line when he says he wonders what it would be like to have a difficult life. Yeah. Also, we get an introduction in their Care Magical Creatures class to bow truckles, Mm -hmm. which I also didn't realize the first time or the last time that I read this through um, whenever I saw them in Fantastic Beast. Bow truckles are the little tree twiggy creatures the one that newt carries around um yeah so that was cute um and then we're saying that ron is covering up a secret of his own he's acting a little aloof he keeps going off by himself and you know harry is starting to notice it hermione starts to notice it and then we find out he is gonna you know try out to be a keeper for the Gryffindor team. So, and he's afraid that everyone thinks that he's an idiot for doing it. Yeah, yeah. But he makes the team, and Harry unfortunately misses it because he has to serve another detention with Umbridge. Um, mm-hmm. She does not care. 
that he cares about Quidditch at all. Clearly. Um, yeah. And then when Umbridge touches his, uh, well, when Umbridge touches his hand at the end of his detention, his scar starts to hurt. So he is kind of wondering why, because usually it's connected to a Voldemort situation. So when he tells Hermione, she's like, you don't think it's like Quirrell, do you? And he's like, no, I don't. Yeah. But very weird. Right. Maybe it's just like pure evil makes his scar hurt. (laughs) Well, I think when he thinks back about it and he's like realizing like later on in the book, he's realizing that he can basically read Voldemort's feelings. Right. He realized that Voldemort in that moment just happened to be feeling particularly like happy or excited about something. Um, But that comes later. And so then we get into Percy and Padfoot the next chapter and um, they've got some Quidditch practice going on and it's always a fight between Slytherin and Gryffindor of who actually gets to practice on the pitch mm-hmm. and um, I had this quote from Pansy Parkinson which first obviously she's a bitch oh my god I have the same quote I know what you're gonna also, say also I'm just like this quote does not age well and it does not fly blatantly when- racist yeah, it's completely racist because the Slytherins are always just shouting insults at the Gryffindors, but Pansy is saying, hey, Johnson, what's with that hairstyle anyways? Why would anyone want to look like they've got worms coming out of their head? Angelina swept her long braided hair out of her face and continued calmly. Spread out then and let's see what we can do. Like, first of all, fuck you, Pansy. That is the most racist offensive thing and then for Angelina to just be so classy and not even let it affect her and just be like spread out let's do this like she's not even worth my time Angelina Johnson doesn't not get enough credit she is a queen a true queen and she really is she took over the team she's trying her best she's dealing with Harry who keeps getting detentions she literally took Ron on pretty much because she was like all right he's promising because he comes from a line of Quidditch players in his family and he's Harry's best friend so Harry can help him out and she has all this on her back and she has to live up to Wood who won the Quidditch Cup so she shouldn't have to deal with this and you're right this doesn't age well and you know this would not pass a publishing house in 2019 no it wouldn't and you know you could kind of maybe defend it only in that she was just showing how nasty Pansy is but honestly this comment is completely offhand and, I, yeah, I mean, I found it extremely offensive. And, yeah, I mean, there are just certain things that, you know, don't age well. <laughs> it, yeah. It's not a good I mean, it, it wasn't well. It didn't go over well then either. But it's just, like, now, like, that would not even ever be allowed to be on the pages. So I think that just, like, I don't know. I mean, I think it was still bad that it was even in there. Yeah, agreed. Unless she was really trying to show something but the fact that there was no like comment on that it was just like a one-off hand insult that was thrown around and nothing was said like hey that's not cool I feel like it's not really teaching you anything besides just showing that this pansy girl is such a prejudiced like awful person yeah yeah I mean and she has other ways of going about making you know metaphors about racism with the blood stuff and yeah uh, yeah I don't know 
I don't know. I would be very interested to hear her take on including lines like this and, you know, where we talked about the weight issue that she brings up quite a bit. Right. I'd be interested to hear her thoughts on that. Like, what were you thinking when you compared Angelina's braids to worms coming out of somebody's head? Right. Anyway. But anyways. So then they have a pretty awful practice. Ron sends someone to the hospital wing. <laughs> Poor Ron. Um, and then he gets a letter from Percy, and you have to keep in mind that Percy's not talking to the rest of the Weasley family at this point because he's in Fudge's pocket. And, and he was probably, like, told to write this to Ron. Definitely. From Fudge. So he basically says, you know, keep an eye out for the prophet tomorrow. There's something really important that is being announced. He tells him he's proud of him for becoming a prefect and not following in Fred and George's footsteps. And the most important thing is he's telling him to not align himself with Harry Potter. Which Ron just kind of, like, shrugs off and it's just, like, Percy's the biggest prat and he, like, rips he the letter He rips up, up the letter and calls him a git and throws it into the fire. Yeah. So. He rips it up and it's just, like, stupid Percy. Yeah. So then they are doing their homework, their mountain of homework that they have, and they're discussing, um, you know, Percy's letter a little bit, but then... Sirius's head pops out of the fucking fire. He's, he's like, oh, yeah, I've been popping in every hour. Just see if it's clear. It's like, okay. Yeah, because Harry had written him a letter about his scar hurting, but in a very secret code way, since there are males obviously probably being, being monitored. Yeah. And so. then Sirius on page 273 has a quote that just never sits well with me, and it's part of the reason why, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I'm not, like, a huge serious fan like I love him for who he is but I don't think he's like the best character ever but he's basically saying like hey maybe I can come to Hogsmeade on your first mm-hmm. weekend and you know we got away with the dog disguise at the station didn't we and Harry and Hermione are just like no and Sirius is like oh they have no clue where I really am because the Daily Prophet like said that they think that he was spotted in London and Harry's just like look I don't want you chucked back in Azkaban like I just got you as my godfather And then there was a pause in which Sirius looked out of the fire at Harry, a crease between his sunken eyes. You're less like your father than I thought, he said finally, a definite coolness in his voice. The risk would have been what made it fun for James. Look, I... Well, I'd better get going. I can hear a creature coming down the stairs, said Sirius, but Harry was sure he was lying. All right to tell you a time I can make it back into the fire, then, shall I? If you can stand to risk it. And then there was a pop, and he went away. So, like, fuck off, Sirius. Like, I get that he's also, like, really restless and is dealing with a lot, but uh, just show some, like, maturity and be a role model for Harry. Like, obviously, you want Harry to be safe? Well, then show him what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... I don't know. Yeah. He's not... The way he treats him. It's not always a good look for Sirius. And you can tell that he definitely is using Harry as a pseudo-James pretty much yeah. a lot of the time. He he wants to just pick up back where he started with James and, like, get into mention, but that's not it. That's n- Harry is not James. Yeah. And he like, does, though, give serious shit going on. Some good advice about Umbridge that I think is important and one of my favorite lines. So you're talking about the scar hurting after he touched, or she touched Harry, sorry, and whether or not she's a Death Eater. And Harry says she's foul enough to be one. 
said Harry darkly, and Ron and Hermione nodded vigorously in agreement. Yes, but the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters, said Sirius with a wry mm-hmm. smile. I know she's a nasty piece of work, though. You should have, he, you should hear Remus talk about her. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's important to note that it would be very easy as a reader and for Harry, Ron, and Hermione in this moment to be like, okay, if you are evil or if you are shady, then you're a Death Eater. And I think it's important to understand that, like, a, a lot of people weren't Death Eaters. They just... Were not good people. Yeah. So... Yeah. Important to keep in mind, I think. Definitely. Okay. So now we're in Chapter 15, and what Percy was alluding to in his letter is announced that Dolores Umbridge is now the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts. Which basically gives her and the Ministry more power than it's ever had at Hogwarts. Yeah. So, well, the big thing to take away from here, other than the Ministry now incredibly being involved at Hogwarts, is that she can now, um, now sits in on the classes and basically gives a full report on each professor at Hogwarts. Which... A lot is left up to her opinions, but also just is stressful for everyone involved. Um, so first up is Divination, Professor Trevani. <laughs> and we all knew how this was going to go. Right. I mean, they all knew that, the students all knew basically, besides the few that liked Trelawney, that she was a fraud. But they don't really want Umbridge in there, like asking her, make a prediction and bullying her. You know, like, it's fine if they do it, but they don't want to see her do it because they hate Umbridge more than they hate her. Mm-hmm. But then and, but then she shows up in uh, McGonagall's class. Yeah, so she show, shows up in McGonagall's class, and honestly, this queen has just had enough. <laughs> she keeps interrupting McGonagall when she's trying to teach and then asks stupidly if McGonagall received the notice that she was going to be in her class today. And McGonagall's like, like well, obviously, or you wouldn't be in here right now. Right. Um, and then one thing I really picked up on is she asks McGonagall how long she's been teaching at Hogwarts, and then she's just looping back to our main issue with mm-hmm. canon plot holes in Crimes of Grenoble. And Professor McGonagall answers with 39 years this December. So this takes place during the 90s. She, she would only have been there since the 60s, maybe the 50s. The so, 50s, yeah. Clearly not long enough to be in that clearly movie. We rest our canon. case. Um, <laughs> but I do love how after she's finally had enough of Umbridge interrupting her, she's like, I wonder, said Professor McGonagall in a cold fury, turning on Professor Umbridge, how you expect to gain any idea of my usual teaching methods if you continue to interrupt me. You see, I do not generally permit people to talk when I am talking. <laughs> And then Harry's her. like, how can she get pissed at me for using losing my temper? Well, it's a little different because she's not throwing shit across the room, so. Yeah. You know, and she's also her peer. She's not her student. Right. Um, and then it's time for Care of Magical Creatures with Grubbly Plank. And, you know, she actually does a pretty good job with Umbridge. She handles her pretty well. Umbridge really doesn't have any qualms with her. I don't personally have any qualms with her. She's not Hagrid. I don't really either. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think she's still a cool chick. She's not Hagrid, and that's the only thing. But, yeah, I agree. And then later on, Hermione and some of the other students are kind of studying for Defense Against the Dark Arts, or they're just studying in general, and Hermione suggests that they should form their own Defense Against the Dark Arts group. 
and that Harry should be their teacher. And Harry is, of course, like, what? Like, no, no, that was all luck. Like, he's very skeptical. And then Hermione's like, but you did all this stuff. And he just kind of agrees to consider it at first. Yes, and we do have a pretty big sassy Harry moment. So he's just, I think this is one of Harry's biggest things. He's very humble, which we can all appreciate. So he's very humble, but he's also sometimes humble to a fault. Like he's telling people, he's telling them like, yeah, I did all these great things, but I had someone helping me or I, you know, just got really lucky. And then he goes into this, which is so uncalled for and like is another reason why we're like, this book is really hard to get through sometimes. So you don't know what it's like. You, neither of you. You've never had to face him, have you? You think it's just memorizing a bunch of spells and throwing them at him, like you're in class or something? The whole time, you're sure you know there's nothing between you and dying except your own, your own brain or guts or whatever. Like you can think straight when you know you're about a second away from being murdered or tortured or watching your friends die. They've never taught us that in their classes. That's what it's like to deal with these things. And you two sit there and acting like I'm a clever little boy to be standing up here alive like Diggory was stupid, like he messed up. You just don't get it, that you could just as easily have been me. It would have been if Voldemort hadn't needed me. Yeah. So he blo- He just keeps blowing up. They're like, we weren't trying to say that, dude. Like, you just, you got it all wrong. Like, you're overreacting as you always do. Right. But then we go on to the next chapter because Ron and Hermione are like, well, I'm going to go to bed after that. Yep. And um, <laughs> so Hermione doesn't really talk about the Defense Against the Dark Arts for a couple weeks until after some more of Harry's detentions and Quidditch practices and everything. And she brings it up again and has and asks Harry if he's thought about it. And he's like, of course I have. Basically, he says he's thought about it and he's thought about like what they would do and then Harry's just like but still like I don't I don't know and Hermione's like yes Harry but all the same there's no point pretending you're not good at defense against the dark arts because you are Mm -hmm. and again they basically like convince Harry that he's like should be the their like leader but then uh Ron has a little moment where um he gets jealous when Hermione says that well, she starts saying, Victor always said, and then mm-hmm. Ron looked round at her so fast he appeared to crick his neck, rubbing it. He said, yeah, what did Vicky say? <laughs> ho, ho, said Hermione in a bored voice. He said Harry knew how to do stuff, even he didn't. And he was in his final year at Durmstrang. Ron was looking at Hermione suspiciously. You're not still in contact with him, are you? So what if I am, said Hermione coolly, though her face was a little pink. I can have a pin pal if I... He didn't want to only be your pin pal, <laughs> said Ron accusingly. So I just love that little moment between them because obviously, like, Ron still has some... at this point, they have such crushes on each other. They're bickering all the time because they're refusing to admit that they like each other. And it's just, like, even Harry's like, okay, really? Like, we're done. We're done with this. Can we stop, please? Yeah. Bickering like you're married already. Yeah, they really do. But anyway, um, they go to Hogsmeade for the first Hogsmeade weekend, and they decide to meet up in Hogshead. Yeah, Hermione's kind of organized, and she says just a few people are going to show up who are interested in the idea, and it ends up being like 25 people in the Hogshead. We also meet Aberforth for the first time. Mm-hmm. Who and Harry clearly, says looks strangely familiar. Yeah, it's vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down too. 
and basically at least 25 people show up and um there's one thing that kind of bothers me whenever harry says voldemort like i don't really get the whole fear of a name thing anymore i feel like it's overstated because we've got people like gasping and like falling out of their chairs and i'm just like oh my okay okay you should be used to it by now yeah i mean like, what, if what anyone, is the name gonna do if anyone has had a conversation with harry you know he's gonna say voldemort so yeah and it's just like why why is that so scary i to think you? it's just like, ingrained in their head from a very young age to be scared of a name and call him you know who or if you're Draco Malfoy, probably call him the Dark Lord. And I don't know. Yeah, that's something I noted too. It just seems a bit overstated at this point. Like it's kind of shoved down our throat. And even Hermione kind of gets weird. Like she shudders when he says Voldemort. Right. So that's she's getting better at it, but everybody else isn't. But then there was one point that I just wanted to mention. Um, when they're talking about how everyone knows Dumbledore is telling the truth. Um, about Sirius being a free man, like, once this is all over and they know that Dumbledore is telling the truth and they'll know the truth about Sirius as well. Um, they say, well, plus he doesn't even have the dark mark. So are you telling me that the 13 years that he rotted an Azkaban, nobody even checked to see if he had a fucking dark mark and that he could potentially be a Death Eater? Like, they just... Yeah, it kind of seems like an obvious thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Check that, but... I don't know. Anyways. Rest our case. Yeah. Still love the whole DA scene. It's yes, great. the whole DA scene's really nice because, you know, Harry at first is really reluctant and, you know, Hermione is speaking on behalf and then he really kind of just steps up and is inspired by these people who a lot of them just want to learn from him and aren't there because they're curious. I mean, some of them probably are there because they're curious about what happened to Cedric, you know? Yeah. But for the most part, they really just want to be there. And he, of course, has the Weasleys that stand up for him when Zacharias is mm-hmm. being a douchebag and George offers to shove a metal rod into his body, which is violent. But, yeah. you know, that's George Weasley. But then Luna and Hermione kind of get into it. They're kind of arguing over the heliopaths. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I love Jenny has such a good diffusion moment when she imitates Professor Umbridge with the little... <laughs> Mm-hmm. thing you know i love i love her for doing that and then she's like weren't we um trying to decide how often we're going to meet to have these defense lessons and get right. them back on track just more of a Ginny moment you don't get that in the movie it's nice to get it in the book she's so Again. much personality I, it's ridiculous that they just crushed it um yeah but anyway then the meeting's over and her mighty lets it slip that Michael Corner is dating Ginny, and he turns into jealous, overprotective big brother. So quickly, your head kind of spins. Yeah. Yeah, and then, so that happens, but then Hermione is trying to change the subject and brings up the fact that Cho could not keep her eyes off of Harry. And he is, uh, he has never appreciated just how beautiful the village of Hogsmeade was before, <laughs> after that. He's a smitten kitten, that's what he is. <laughs> But then there is a, another educational decree that forbids student organizations, which includes Quidditch teams, from meeting again until they get re- approval from her. So Ron and Harry kind of suspect that Umbridge knows about the defense group, but Hermione's like, we would have known if anyone snitched because I put a jinx on the piece of parchment that everybody signed. Um, so yeah. Right, it's but then, our age. Then, yeah. 
Then later in History of Magic, Harry sees Hedwig at the window, and she looks like she's been, like, hurt. So he takes her to see Professor Grubbly Plank, and um, she mends Hedwig for him, and Harry has a letter from Sirius that says, Today, same time, same place, and um, Hermione and Ron and Harry all kind of think that maybe Hedwig has been intercepted in the mail and that someone is reading his mail which clearly is the case yeah because they meet with Sirius again in the common room or the boys dormitory in the fire and at the end of their conversation pretty much Umbridge's hand comes through the fire yeah so freaky and obvious that she is the one who's been intercepting Harry's mail right exactly but then moving on we find out that Angelina has gotten permission for Gryffindor to reform their Quidditch team, and they've got practices all the time, and Harry's scar is hurting after Quidditch, and he senses that Voldemort is upset, mm-hmm. and that something isn't happening, fa- happening fast enough, and he's telling Ron about it, and this is when he's telling Ron how he like senses Voldemort's emotions. Um, but then Harry, they have so much homework to keep up with, and with the Quidditch practices, like Harry... It's trying to stay awake and do some homework, but he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, Dobby's there. And yeah. Dobby's like, what can I do to help? And Harry's like, well, nothing. But actually, if you knew of a place where all of us could practice Defense Against the Dark art secretly and safely, that would be great. And Dobby's like, oh, yeah, of course, I know of a place. Yeah. And Dobby always comes through of knowing exactly what to do and where to go. I mean, his delivery is not always the best. But he really is always there for Harry. I mean, the gobbled a fire when he gave him the gillyweed. He knows what to do, and, you know, I don't know. Dobby's just such a good character. Again, he's slighted in the movies. Definitely. Then they have their first meeting, and they are trying to figure out what to call it. And Ginny has the idea, well, Cho says the DA, Defense yeah, Association. Yeah, I love that it's both Cho and Ginny yeah. who come up with it. And then it. Ginny says, yeah, the DA is good. Only let's make it stand for Dumbledore's Army, because that's what the mi- Ministry's worst fear is, isn't it? So, such genius. Such a queen. Love her. So they're practicing Expelliarmus, because that is Harry's bread and butter. Um <laughs> And Zachariah Smith is like, isn't that a bit basic? And, and Harry's like, it Harry's saved like, my well, ass. saved my life last year. So if you think it's beneath you, feel free to like sit this one out. Sat shuts him up Harry. real quick. Um, <laughs> so it goes relatively well. And they're actually enjoying themselves and learning a lot. And Neville's growing as a wizard. And he made yeah. Cho nervous. And he's all excited about that. So... You right. know. It was a really good first meeting, and it gives them something to look forward to. Something and they better. And keep doing it. But then the first Quidditch match is drawing near, and I think it's interesting how, like, Ron, what he wants most is, like, popularity and fame and glory. He wants it so badly, but when he finally starts getting attention, he... Chokes. Yeah. Miserably. He can't handle it. Like, he can't take it. He doesn't respond well to it. All he does is get nervous or upset and down on himself, and I'm just yeah. like... Oof, it's rough. It's a tough look for Ron. Yeah. But anyway, during the first match, uh, well, before the first match, we see Luna's beautiful lion hat to support Gryffindor that is eating a serpent. Love it. And And it actually roars Oh, no, it's not eating eating a serpent. She wanted it to be eating a serpent, but she didn't have time for that. It just roars. It just roars. Mobby. 
Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then Harry sees while they're leaving the Great Hall that the Slytherins are all wearing these Weasley as our King badges. Yeah, that are shaped like crowns, and they have a whole song that kills me every time. Um, it's just not fair. It's just so mean, and honestly, he was already nervous. He could barely eat, which we all know is a huge warning sign that he's not doing right. well. And then he has this on top of it, so my wonder he didn't perform well. You yeah, know? like, who would have been able to play with that going on, especially in your first match when you feel like you have a ton to prove? Exactly. And then, of course, like, Harry wins. Harry pulls through and, like, wins the match because he's awesome. At Quidditch, and then afterwards, Malfoy continues to insult Ron's family, and then Harry's mom, and just like they they get into a fight because yeah. Malfoy's a piece of shit. And then Umbridge basically has just gotten a motion sign that says that she can she can discipline kids however she fe- sees fit. So she takes away Quidditch from Harry and Fred and George because uh, only one of them, I think it was George, George who, fought fought with Harry, and Fred was being held back by uh, Katie, Angelina, and Alicia, or else he would have, so she takes it away from all three of them, and it's just such a bitch move. Like, I hate her so much. It's just like, why not take it away from Goyle, who hit who the hit the bludger, bludger on him. Yeah, after the, the illegal game had been bludger. called. Yeah, and then so Malfoy was being a fucking prat the whole time. I mean, it's just... Poor Harry. I mean, at yeah, this point, clearly she has favorites already. Yeah. And, you know, of course and they're Harry. Yeah. But, any, oh, and I did want to mention that in this book there was no mention of Halloween feast. So this is the first book where something big doesn't happen on Halloween. Um, but, yeah. anyways, that's basically where we wrap up on our second deep dive into Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Um, next week or not next week, next time we get Hagrid back. Yep. So. Picking back up with Hagrid's Light tail. at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. But next week we will be doing our second deep dive into the Order of the Phoenix film. We're very excited about that. And yeah, so as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at HP Half Drunk and Facebook at Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. On Facebook, we also have a Facebook group. Uh, Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast group. You can find it on our page. We have a lot of fun memes that get posted in there. Cute kids and their little their little Hogwarts uniforms. It's a good place. There's a lot of good conversation. Just discussions. Yeah. Yeah. You can also find our website, hphalfdrunk.com. It will be updated this week. And then listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Anywhere we are there, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating, and you can leave us a review if you feel so inclined. And, yeah. All right. Have a good week. Cheers. Mischief managed. Mischief managed.